welcome everyone to the Citizens Guide. Thank you, as always, for joining us today. Um, obviously, today we are going to spend significant time remembering the life of the late Justice Ruth Bader Ginsburg. Uh, so we're going to take a look back at her life and some of the some of the big things that she accomplished and the the things that she gave us as a country. We're going to talk about. Uh, the politics surrounding the now vacant seat on the Supreme Court. And then finally, we're going to share some of our thoughts and some uh, political scientists thoughts on uh, the prospect of reforming the Supreme Court. So first, I'm just going to give uh, just kind of a quick uh, biography of, of Justice Ginsburg, because I think it's important that people realize uh, what we've lost and what kind of what is at stake now that her seat is empty. Um, but Justice Ginsburg was born in Brooklyn, New York in 1933. Uh, both of her parents uh, were from immigrant families. Her father was a Jewish immigrant from Odessa, which is in modern day Ukraine. And then her mother was born in New York to Austrian Jewish parents. Um, she went to Cornell, uh, graduated with a degree in government with honors. And that's where she met her husband who passed away in 2010. Um, at age 21, after she graduated, she worked for the Social Security Administration office in Oklahoma, where she was demoted after becoming pregnant with her first child. Uh, so that kind of laid the groundwork for some of her later work with sex discrimination. Uh, in 1956, she enrolled at Harvard Law School before later transferring to Columbia to finish her degree. Uh, Ginsburg, after she graduated law school, was denied a clerkship with Justice Felix Frankfurter of the United States Supreme Court because she was a woman. So she ended up clerking for Judge Edmund L. Palmieri of the U.S. District Court for the Southern District of New York. Uh, after that, she was a research associate at the Columbia Law School Project on International Procedure, where she learned Swedish in order to co-author a book on civil procedure in Sweden. And so she's been a significant amount of time studying in Sweden and that's where she developed uh, a lot of her views on how a society with more equitable treatment of the sexes uh, can exist and that's where a lot of her inspiration was drawn from. I found that interesting. Um, after that she became a law professor at Rutgers where they explicitly told her she would be paid less than her male colleagues because her husband happened to have a job that paid well. He was a tax attorney. Um, at the time, she was, uh, fewer than, she was one of fewer than 20 law professors in the entire country. Um, so even, even from the very beginning, she was breaking barriers. Um, in 1972, Ginsburg founded the Women's Rights Project at the ACLU, where she became a champion of gender equity. Uh, at that job, she authored the brief in Reed versus Reed, which led the United state supreme court to extend the equal protection clause of the 14th amendment to women so that was that was what prevents the government now from discriminating based on sex um, now in 1980 president carter nominated her to a seat on the united states court of appeals for the district of columbia um, she was confirmed very quickly to that appointment and then elevated to the supreme court in 1993 by president bill clinton um, and she was the first Jew to serve on the court since the resignation of Abe Fortas in the 1960s, and she was the only uh, Jewish woman to ever serve on the court. And this is just a quote from her confirmation hearing. She said, quote, this is something central to a woman's life, 
to her dignity. It's a decision that she must make for herself. And when government controls that decision for her, she's being treated as less than a fully adult human responsible for her own choices. And that was based on a question uh, from a Republican senator about her thoughts on Roe versus Wade, which of course extends the right to privacy and abortion to uh, Americans. So that's just a little bit about Ruth Bader Ginsburg. This is a very uh, sad episode already. It, you, can't, you can't read about uh, the trajectory of her life without um, becoming very sad. And that, that's just the very tip of the iceberg uh, with Justice Ginsburg's life. And I encourage listeners to seek out their own uh, information about the life that she lived. Um, okay, Connor, what, do you have anything to add first about, about her life generally? Just a real trailblazer, regardless of your politics, the, the actions she took, the decisions, the dissent she wrote have affected either all of us and most importantly, like 50% of the country, like owe her a debt to what she was able to accomplish, what she was able to fight for, how she broke down gender discrimination is truly, truly remarkable. And not, not, it's not out of the blue to say that, that that's part of her legacy. But I think given just how turbulent the past four years have been, just how disconnected some people may be, and just how recluse Supreme Court justices normally are, it's easy to forget that. But truly, it, it, no words can describe what, what she's done for, for the women of America. Yeah, it, it really was a gut, gut punch. I was sitting at my desk just like writing a paper or something and my phone buzzes and it's a New York Times headline, you know, Ruth Bader Ginsburg uh, has passed away. Um, so that was like never, never good news to, to lose someone that has had such an impact on the country. But especially now, I think a lot of us are feeling um, as if the bad news just can't stop. Um, in a normal year, losing Justice Ginsburg would have been devastating, but this is particularly so, especially um, 40 some odd days before a very consequential presidential election, which we can talk about. Um, but yeah, it's, I don't know, it's hard to, it's hard to deal with this news. Um, you kind of wake up every morning since wishing it weren't real, um, but, but unfortunately it is. And all, I think another thing to point out is that her, um, she dictated uh, to her family who, who were with her um, before she passed that her kind of final wish was that her seat be filled uh, by the person who wins in November. She, um, I think, saw in 2016 what the Republican Senate did to Barack Obama's uh, nomination of Merrick Garland to the court which of course was I think 200 and something days before the election. Um, and she recognized the legacy that she had and knew that if, if the president and the Republican party are able to install one of their own onto the court that her legacy is very much at risk. And I think we should- Go ahead. I think we should also state that like, this whole fear, this whole, this whole fight to begin with, it didn't have to be this way. It is solely Mitch McConnell and the Republicans in the Senate who, who in 2016 broke with president and refused to even hold a hearing, any, any, any even a confirmation vote on Merrick Garland. 
as as the Constitution gives the president the power to appoint Supreme Court justices. So this this is a crisis deliberately caused by the the just heinous abuse of power in the Senate. And I and I think you might be able to think that this is sort of like a both sides sort of like well like this is they're acting in bad faith no it's not you go back and you see this this disaster was caused on purpose right and you know we can go we can get into the kind of the battle to fill her seat but it's so interesting that with like leader Mitch McConnell's statement that he put out the night that she passed away it was like a few sentences about her being, you know, a trailblazer, an icon of the court. And then, you know, two lines down, the Senate will move quickly uh, to vote on the president's recommendation to fill her seat. I mean, literally within hours of her passing away, Mitch McConnell has already made the political calculus uh, to fill the seat before November, or at least get the process started, which I want to talk about whether or not it's likely that there's a justice seated before November. Um, but I, I just found that to be not only in bad taste, but also just completely hypocritical. Um, and it's just about power at this point. And that's, that is what it is, but I'm happy to see already um, that Democrats are ready to play the game, it looks like. Um, Act Blue, which is a, a, how Democrats process online donations, um, I think has raised uh, in total like a hundred million dollars since uh, 8 p.m. Eastern time on Friday, I guess it was. They broke record fundraising goals between the hours of 9 and 10 p.m., which mm-hmm. like in the millions of that like is incredible and shows that there will be a fight for this. Yeah, so that kind of explains the grassroots energy around the court, which is kind of a flip from 2016, where Democrats, uh, Democratic voters specifically, maybe not Democratic politicians, seemed particularly, um, I don't know, disinterested in filling the seat that was vacant during the 2016 election. And that seems to kind of have been flipped on its head. And I think uh, it's because of who Justice Ginsburg was and the impact that she had on a lot of what I'm noticing just anecdotally is female professionals in my life, people who in a time where it wasn't popular still for a woman to go to work, Justice Ginsburg set that example for a lot of people that, that, it's, that it's normal and it's beneficial to society for women to work and we all benefit from, from women working. Um, and to like advocate for themselves for pay and just yeah. the equality that is not given to women in the workplace. Yeah, exactly. Vocal so, so I think that's fueling the grassroots energy. And then I'm also hopeful about, and we can go ahead and start talking about it. I'm hopeful about the democratic response from uh, democratic leaders. Uh, I know President Obama put out a statement that he uh, does not want the seat filled for obvious reasons. Um, Senate Minority Leader Chuck Schumer told Senate Democrats in a meeting this weekend that, quote, nothing is off the table if Republicans move to fill the seat before the election. And so, so what does that mean to you, that nothing is off the table? Uh, 
I'll wait and see. In typical just Senate Democrat responses to Republican oversteps have been mostly limited to a statement without any actual, I believe, action behind behind those words. They don't I my perception is and I think most of the public's perception is that Democrats don't play don't play the politics game because rightfully so they abide by norms and traditions and just like the decency but the fact is that Mitch McConnell doesn't do those things and neither does the Republican Party anymore so I'm hopeful that this might spur into actual combative action because that's what is needed yeah I agree um I guess for our listeners one thing we should explain just quickly is what happens when there is a vacancy um it obviously doesn't happen super often um this would be the third one that donald trump got to fill which is uh extraordinary um but when there's a vacancy on the supreme court the constitution uh tasks the president with uh nominating uh, an individual to fill the seat and then the senate is charged with uh evaluating and confirming that appointment. Um, so the Senate Judiciary Committee, led by Senator Lindsey, Lindsey Graham, uh, will kind of be the first line that this person has to uh, get past in order to make it to the Senate floor for a full confirmation vote. Um, and rules have been changed in recent years uh, to where the individual appointed to the court needs a simple majority. So with Republican control of the Senate and Republican in the White House, that would just need 50 votes in the Senate uh, because Mike Pence could cast the tie-breaking vote, which is horrifying. Um, so that's just kind of the procedure, I guess, for, for listeners who just like aren't aware. And but uh, it also takes a while, historically, um, the Congressional Research Service says the average time since 1975 from nomination to confirmation is about 67 days, around two months, while the meeting is 71 days, a again, a little longer than two months. Um, so it's with less than 50 days to the election. I don't know if there's a path to having a Supreme Court to have a nomination get through the Senate before election day. That doesn't mean it won't happen after election day, whether it's in a lame duck presidency or whether reelected Trump. I don't know. I don't know what that looks like afterwards, but I don't see it happening before election day. Yeah, I agree. And I think that's another important thing to point out is that on election day, no matter what happens, everyone in office who, right now will be in office until January even like the, the Senate, the House, whatever. Um, well, I think except the, for Mark Kelly. Right, I was about to say that's the exception. If Arizona um, elects a different senator, he would be sworn in probably at the end of November, I think. November 30th. There, yeah, um, but that still wouldn't change the balance of the Senate. It would just make the margin tighter. Um, but that's one thing to remember. And when we say like lame duck, that's what we mean, um, is this point between election day and inauguration day where... Donald Trump is either reelected and he's just president for four more years or Joe Biden is elected, but he, can, he doesn't take office till January. That's just the way it works. Um, I am not confident. Let me put it this way. I obviously neither of us know what's going to happen, 
And I don't think Mitch McConnell knows what's going to happen because already two senators, Lisa Murkowski of Alaska and Susan Collins of Maine, have said they're not going to vote to confirm a nominee before Election Day. And I think Murkowski's statement specifically said uh, she thinks it's up to whatever president gets elected in November to put that person forward. Um, so if Biden wins, Murkowski's a no. She's not going to vote for a Trump nominee. So that's one. And you need three more because the current makeup of the Senate is 47-53. So you need, you need four to get past that tie-breaking vote. Um, and then Susan Collins, I don't think her statement specifically mentioned the, the prospect of a lame duck appointment, but I, would, I don't have a lot of faith in her as a human being, but I don't think she would, if Biden wins, I don't think she would vote on an appointment. The only caveat to that is if she loses her seat, I don't know what she does. I think, I think she tries to preserve her goodwill with the people of Maine and doesn't vote. I think she says, okay, they've made their choice. Like, I'm going to step back, um, try to rehabilitate her character a little bit. What, what do you... I bet her vote for Brett Kavanaugh is coming back to haunt her a little bit, especially with the ads that the, her... Sarah Gideon. Running, Sarah Gideon's running mm -hmm. in Maine. I think her vote for Kavanaugh and her flip-flopping statements regarding why she did it and if she was going to do it, I think those are coming back in her thought process on this. Maybe. I don't live in, 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 in Susan Collins' head, nor would I want to, but um, I, think, I think that's probably a consideration. And I, would, I don't want to make a statement on whether it will have an effect on these endangered senators like from Colorado, like we talked about Mark Kelly and Martha McSally. I don't know. I think it's too too far, I guess, to guess what how their race might affect their vote or their state. Yeah, I think we will have a better picture next week and the week after. After we get there are some polls in the field that represent that are that are post Justice Ginsburg passing away because it's with so much money flooding in, it's really hard to see how these races are gonna be affected so soon after it happened. Um, I do have Senator Murkowski's statement here. I'm just gonna read it. She said, quote, for weeks, I've stated that I would not support taking up a potential Supreme Court vacancy this close to the election. Uh, sadly, uh, what was then a hypothetical is now our reality, but my position has not changed. I did not support taking up a nomination eight months before the 2016 election to fill the vacancy created by the passing of Justice Scalia. We are now even closer to the 2020 election, less than two months out, and I believe the same standard must apply, which I completely disagree with her logic about the 2016 choice, but at least she's being consistent. Yeah, again, there is no, no precedent for not confirming and even appointing a, a judge in an election year. Eight months, eight months was the last time, and now we're less than two months away. So I do have some respect for uh, the few Republicans who are staying consistent. Um, and that's my nice thing to say about Republicans today. Again, there's a lot of lip service, but I would hesitate to have anyone on the back until it actually comes down to a vote. I agree. I agree. Um, just another quote from, a, from this time from a Democratic senator. This is Senator Patrick Leahy uh, of Vermont. 
Uh, he said, quote, they must exhibit a shred of integrity and recognize that abandoning their word now and breaking all precedents by ramming a nominee through, most likely after the election, would cause the nation tremendous pain. And I think that's such a good point. If you look back to the two uh, nominees that the president has already made, Justice Gorsuch and D Justice Kavanaugh, um, those were, especially with Kavanaugh, um, horribly di divisive events for the country to endure and for us to be enduring uh, economic crisis, uh, global pandemic, uh, an election, all stacked on top of just generally Donald Trump being president, it really could be too much for the country to bear. Um, it's not a guarantee that the Democratic project works. And if you pile a Supreme Court nominee on right now, I don't know what happens. Um, and that's not to scare people, that's just to be aware of, of the stakes involved. Um, and like, God forbid the election comes down to the Supreme Court, the Supreme Court decision, you have a, a possible, most likely 4-4 court, which I have no idea what happens in well, that don't, situation. Well, don't count on me to trust Justice Roberts to swing to the left and make but, Joe Biden president. But still, um, I think a scary, a scary future. It is, like, and especially with a lot of new... Uh, election rules coming down from various secretaries of state in different states um, about like mail-in ballots and when they can be counted or how they can be counted. It just, it's worrying. And the easiest thing to do is just to help Joe Biden win by a lot. The bigger his margin is, the less likely it is uh, that it can be taken away. Mm -hmm. um, so if you, you know, have some spare money laying around, donate it to a Senate race. Uh, donate it to Joe Biden, do something with it, because um, mm -hmm. this really is the time uh, to be engaged, to be involved. Um, yeah. Um, just a little fun fact I found to give everyone a little perspective. If Trump appoints a justice anytime before November, that would make it the fifth Supreme Court justice out of nine appointed by a president who was not elected by a majority of Americans who lost the popular vote. And I think that sort of explains like, there is a radical minority seizing control of our country. And I don't, I don't believe that should be a controversial statement, just an observation of how, how far the Republican Party has shifted in the last couple years, 10 years, whatever you say. And that's worrisome that our institutions that's are that broken. That's a good point, and we can talk about that in a few minutes of whether or not the Supreme Court needs to be uh, reformed. Um, and in another episode, we'll talk about whether or not the United States Senate needs to be reformed. Because, like, to kind of flesh out your point a little bit, you have these individuals on our highest court who are appointed by presidents who don't win the popular vote, and then they are approved by a Senate, which is unrepresentative of the general population of the United States. Um, mm -hmm. That is what it, that's the system we have. Um, that doesn't mean that's the system that works best for the most people though. Um, it worked really well in the 18th century, um, but it really might be time to consider whether or not um, the state of California and the state of Wyoming should have equal representation in the Senate. 
or why are there two two Dakotas? What's what's the difference there? You know, <laughs> right. right? We might just start combining states. Um, it goes back to what Mitch McConnell said earlier this week, where he was fearing that if Joe Biden gets elected, that D.C. and Puerto Rico will be accepted as states, and that's four new Democratic senators. If you're an elected official, you shouldn't be afraid of more people having representation. Like, right? Like, I, I, I saw. I saw a joke on Twitter about him saying that, and it said, uh, looks like Mitch McConnell is uh, scared of an outbreak of democracy happening in our country. And that's a, that was a poignant joke about that, but it's serious because there are people in this country who uh, live every day, pay our taxes, um, and they are not represented equally in our federal government. And that's something we should all be ashamed of. Um, yeah. So yeah. if you're, again, it goes back to my radical minority. If, if you are afraid as a party of letting more people access to votes, more access to the Senate, just leveling the playing field of access to our democracy, that, it's no, that's not legitimate. Like you have to be able to work with what the public wants and then you'll be more successful. You won't have to worry about not being elected if you were just where the public is on the ballot, on the issues, but they're not. And I, I was thinking about um, kind of the statehood issue a little bit today, which I th we should dive into in a different episode. But I do worry, and I have done uh, not, not extensive research about this, but I know that DC as the kind of federal city is in the constitution as such. And I worry that a conservative majority court would use that as a way to strike down statehood. Um, that's just the most like surface level thought I have about that issue and fear mm -hmm. that I have. Um, but there, this is all, this is kind of all a way to say that the, the fight to fill Justice Ginsburg's seat um, will shape the American political system for the next 30 plus years. Um, Connor, you and I will be uh, old enough to be on the court by the time uh, we recover from the damage done if the president is able to uh, nominate and confirm someone. Do you want to talk a little bit about some of his choices that he's thrown around? Um, Can I say one thing before then? Oh, of course, of course. So going back to your thing about a whole generation will be shaped by if he's able to appoint. If you are not happy with the way the political system works, you're not very enthused about the candidates this cycle, despite the fact that one's a criminal, um, any piece of legislation, if any piece of structural reform, whether it be on climate, whether it be on expanding our democracy, whether it be just any issue that you're passionate about that you think, like the big structural change that you think is needed in this country, it will not be, it will not become law, it will not stand up against a radical Supreme Court, a radical conservative Supreme Court. So just everything's off the table then. Like, climate, holding businesses accountable, racism, structural racism, addressing any of these things, it will not be possible. Yeah, and, and that's not to say that the court has not erred uh, in, in both the larger history of the country and recent history. Kind of larger history, you just have to look uh, to Franklin Roosevelt's New Deal and see how the court um, prevented him from doing a lot of things. And then recent history, the gutting of the, voters, uh, the Voting Rights Act with uh, Shelby County v. Holder, where Justice Ginsburg likened uh, gutting that, that congressional act uh, 
to throwing away an umbrella in the middle of a rainstorm because you weren't getting wet. Um, like the, the court has, is, is not a perfect body. It never has been. It has been at a low point in my opinion um, for, I mean, honestly, over two decades now. Um, like not, not since the 20th century have we seen a court actually willing to deliver opinions um, that really change things. Yeah. Uh, and that's aside from a few important exceptions, um, the Obergefell case, of course, um, things like that have been uh, life changing for so many of us. Um, but again, the court, the court does not need another conservative on it. They've got plenty. So just pick, if you're dissatisfied in any way in how the system works today, the answer is not throwing up your hands and saying, well, I, it doesn't matter, or I, I just, I just want to escape from all the talk, from all the arguing. That should motivate you to organize, to vote, to register to vote, to register your friends and family to vote. Because again, like I said, like if, if you are a single issue voter and you want change in our, in our country, which I'm assuming a majority of our listeners have some idea of change they want, then a justice matters, a president matters, a senator matters, every vote counts. And that, yeah. that's, all, that's all I want to say about yeah. that. No, that's, that's great. Um, a few people the president has already considered, um, one of which Connor is a, is a Rhodes grad, so Rhodes College represent. Um, her name is Amy Coney Barrett. She serves on the United States Court of Appeals for the Seventh Circuit in Chicago. Um, I don't know if you've done much research on her. I know I did a little bit back uh, during the last vacancy. Mm -hmm. And I would be embarrassed as a Rhodes student to have her on the court. Um, and that's, that's putting it lightly. Um, she has been critical of Roe v. Wade. She's been critical of the Affordable Care Act and uh, mandating businesses to provide contraceptives to employees. Um, she, she really would be an activist on the court and not the kind of activism that, that we like. Um, do you have any specific thoughts about her before I go through the list? No, that, yeah, no, not, <laughs> yeah. not a fan. And not a, not a fan, not a no. fan. Yeah. Spoiler alert. I'm not yeah. a fan of any of these people. <laughs> yeah. Um, <laughs> uh, this says others on the list uh, include judges Thomas M. Hardiman of the third circuit in Philadelphia and William H. Pryor Jr. of the 11th circuit in Atlanta. Um, you also, like we talked about previously, Tom Cotton of Arkansas and Josh Hawley of Missouri, who are sitting U.S. senators. Um, I'll say it, unlikely that he picks a U.S. Senator with the margin as close it is, because if you're up for the nomination, you can't vote on the nomination, and I don't think there's going to be any votes to spare. That's but, just an aside. But again, he is dumb, so <laughs> he might. Yeah. Um, apparently, the White House uh, views Justice Ginsburg's death as a, as a, quote, significant boost for Mr. Trump's re-election chances. And um, I think it's too soon to sort of see how this affects turnout or make any predictions. Right. Well, Connor, so, it, might, it might shock listeners to learn that the White House isn't filled with top-notch uh, political strategists these days. Um, not exactly working with the cast of the West Wing here. <laughs> um, anyway, he's got the whole, I don't have the whole list in front of me, but the president is looking at some radical far-right jokers to put on the court. Um, 
And, and one thing, he does plan to announce his selection before the first debate, which I believe, I could be wrong, is the 29th, which is next Tuesday. So, so sometime this week, we're going to get a name. Um, I don't know if we'll talk about the debate next week. I, I can't get into that. Um, but let me just ask this, and this might be a pointless question. Does Donald Trump care who sits on the Supreme Court? No. And again, I mean, maybe not again, but a thought I've had is he doesn't care about America and he doesn't care about, he doesn't care about anything except being reelected. That, that's it. And if you look at his statements, look at his actions on coronavirus, we just crossed a 200,000 death toll this week or a couple of days ago. I don't know. Where was that coverage? Where did anyone talk about that? When we crossed 100,000, that was a big, big reflection. And, but another 100,000 has passed in even less time. Again, so this is not a coronavirus talk, but he doesn't care about our institutions. He doesn't care about our system of government. He doesn't care about norms and procedures. He just doesn't care. All he cares about is getting 270 electoral votes, or he doesn't even care about that. <laughs> he wants nothing except for people to love him. That's right. He, he promised in, in his rally last night um, that if, if he loses, we'll never hear from him again. And Joe Biden's team quickly turned that into an ad. Um, it's like eight seconds long. It's just the president saying, if, if I lose, you'll never hear from me again. And then it's Joe Biden. You know, I approve this message. And I, that was phenomenal. Um, just a little piece of happy, kind of funny. Um, so yeah, just imagine your life if you didn't have to hear from Donald Trump every day um, and then go vote. Um, and also voting has started in a lot of states. Um, Connor, we're working on a little project right now where we're going to talk to some of those voters in states that have already started. Um, yes. So a little teaser for the audience. Um, <laughs> but okay, are you ready to talk about court reform? Boy, oh boy, am I. The Take hot, sexy topic of 2020, <laughs> I guess. Um, so believe it or not, there's no, no rules in the Constitution, no guidelines about who can be appointed to the Supreme Court? There's no, there's nothing like you and I could be appointed to the Supreme Court and that would meet the minimum criteria unless there's an age requirement. But I don't think so. I don't think there is. I could be wrong. Somebody will point out if we're wrong. But so barring an age requirement, there's no education, no, no citizen requirement, citizenship requirement, no education requirement. So you could be in a Supreme Court justice if you're listening. <laughs> um, so given that, the fact that there's nine justices is not something that's set in the Constitution. There's ranged from five to ten, depending on how many circuit courts are in the country, because earlier in the court's, Supreme Court's history, the individual judges traveled around their circuit to try cases. It wasn't until later, late late 19th century, early 20th century, where they gathered in one place. Um, so past that time, FDR passed or wanted to pass a law that expanded the court to 15 justices so he could get his New Deal legislation ratified and made legal. It was shut down as seen as political. Would we be in a better place if it passed? Maybe. I don't know. Um, so my first encounter with judicial Supreme Court reform came in the 2020 primaries when Pete Buttigieg 
made it a central part of his campaign, which I found odd at the time, but I guess it is important now that the future of progressive legislation, maybe the health of our democracy rested on an 85 year old making it to 86 years old. I think that might reflect poorly on the health of the Supreme Court. Um, you want me to get into the plan? Do you have any thoughts on that? Um, yeah, I would just say that if you didn't hear about Mayor Pete's plan, it's because he talked about it at the beginning of his campaign. And then when he started doing well, he stopped yeah. talking about it. Because when, when a voter hears Supreme Court reform, they get a little nervous, I think. Yeah. Um, because it's I, just not something that we're used to hearing. Uh, but I think it's phenomenal that he did talk about it. I wish he had talked about it more. Um, but, but yeah, go ahead and like, which, so, we've kind of looked at the same options, I think. Mm -hmm. Which one do you think would do the most benefit to the court as an institution? Um, or or if you don't I think, think any a of little, them would. I think a little bit of all. In Mayor Pete's plan, he suggested that there be 15 justices. 10 of those justices, so five and five, would be directly affiliated with one of the two major parties. Then those 10 would unanimously select five more. So it would sort of depoliticize the court in a way, which I think is a good thing. So there's not a whole scramble to fill a vacancy every time someone dies. Um, I think that's sound. I'm a proponent for expanding the court. Nine seems too few for like where we are. Um, but do you want to talk about the other plan about term, term limits or time? Yeah. Yeah. Um, so the Brookings Institute did like this whole analysis of court reform. And one suggestion was uh, an 18-year term followed by uh, like lifetime on a lower court, which I don't love this idea. I really don't. But I think it should be considered because once it was fully implemented, it would result in a vacancy every two years. Um, so we would be continually living in what we're living right now. Yeah. But I, I once again don't think it's a great idea. I don't like the idea of term limits generally. Um, okay. Just because, like, if you look at Justice Ginsburg, like, yes, like, critics will say she should have retired when Barack Obama was president, but the contributions she made to the court... Her, her dissents afterwards. Her dissents after... Exactly, her dissenting opinions afterwards could very well lay the groundwork for future opinions of the court. And I just... I wouldn't want to lose that legacy. Um, yeah. So, think, but... A problem with Mayor Pete's plan too, I think the notion that people might convince themselves that the Supreme Court is an apolitical institution is wrong. Like the court is political. It's always been political. Its nominees have always been political. I don't know why we sort of haze that line. We sort of think of it as above, above the political fray. It, I don't think it's ever been. Nothing is apolitical. Exactly. That's and that's why I sort of like the thought of having the justices appoint, choose some of their members, 
perhaps. Mm-hmm. Again, I think anything's better than the system we have. Yeah, I well, I guess I'll just throw my opinion. I think there need to be more, but I think the way we choose them needs to remain the same. Okay. Personal. And but along with that, I think the Senate needs to be reformed, which is a more radical view. It's all um, part of a big system. Exactly. Yeah, it you, like you can't just like tinker around the edges and expect some big change. Um and just for any listeners who are nervous about the court being reformed, it's incredibly unlikely that it actually happens like anytime soon. Um, it definitely won't happen if President Trump gets elected. Uh, yeah, right. No. Um, one, one thing that we haven't talked about, Connor, and I think Nancy Pelosi mentioned this, is the only way to remove a Supreme Court justice is through impeachment. So it's... It's possible. I don't know know what the hesitation is with Democrats playing politics in that way. I don't. I don't know. Like, I wouldn't put it past Mitch McConnell to use impeachment powers if he was Speaker of the House to remove Democratic appointees. Like, that's not out of the contrary, out of the picture anymore. Yeah, I agree. I am not a proponent of impeaching any of the no. current Supreme Court justices. No. That's just something floating around at the moment. And like, once again, this is such an unfinished picture that we're looking at. Like, yeah. Like, she, Justice Ginsburg passed away like two days ago. Yeah. Like, we can't like calm down and take a moment to like reflect on that. But I wish we could. Mm-hmm. But I also think, based on Justice Ginsburg's personality and like how she like, presented herself to the public she like what is happening now on the left is exactly what she would have wanted like she would not have wanted the left to say you know we're gonna wait a week before we like talk about a successor like we're gonna like respect her memory like no like you have to fight and you have to like live up to the ideal that she set Mm -hmm. so if anyone's feeling squeamish about talking about it so early don't (laughs) yep like, she, like you listen to her biography. Like she was a political creature from the beginning, and she she didn't wait for other people to tell her what to do. She she asked for forgiveness, not for permission. Right. Um, and she didn't really ask for forgiveness either. Right. right. She kind of just did what she did. Right. And and yeah, I I hope that this episode has kind of given people a better understanding of her legacy and what's at stake. I know we've kind of thrown a lot of ideas out there, mm-hmm. um, but but it, it really is important who sits on our Supreme Court. Like I mentioned earlier, it can change everything from gender discrimination to same-sex marriage to access to abortion, um, access to health care, and then like you mentioned, future decisions about the Green New Deal or uh, like systematic Demo- democratic change, reform. Democratic reform. Um, that's little d not party d <laughs> right we'll talk about democratic party reform in a different episode um <laughs> but but it really we we underappreciate how much of an impact the court can have on um, our society and our individual lives none like like you said with the senate reform tying back to um supreme court appointees Justice Ginsburg passing away doesn't exist in a vacuum. There, it's not, it's not a one and done. Who, 
who appoints her doesn't or who gets to appoint her or who is appointed to fill her position doesn't exist in a vacuum it ripples and it has tangible and powerful effects on you your family your friends your livelihood whether you know it now or in 10 years and 15 years and 20 years like i know it's hard to take a long long view of something like this especially just with like you said the crises we're inundated with but it it matters it's hard but you have to think about it in that way i think yeah that was that was good thank you <laughs> um i know i told you connor i didn't have news that sounds too dumb to be true because this was a sad weekend for me sad weekend for a lot of people um just off the top of my head though i think people deserve it um the news that's too dumb to be true this week is lindsey graham he both in 2016 and 2018 said that he doesn't think that a seat should be filled in a presidential election year. And now he's getting awfully quiet about the empty seat on the Supreme Court, Connor. And I don't think. Well, I don't you know, think. Quiet. I think he said, I think he said he would appoint, he would vote to appoint. Maybe he had, maybe since I've looked, he has. Anyway, news that sounds too dumb to be true is just Lindsey Graham in general. He is tied with his opponent right now, Jamie Harrison in South Carolina, and if he loses, I will be so happy. Mm-hmm. I would just love to watch him give a concession speech. Mm-hmm. Um, no, I wouldn't watch it, but I'd read the headlines about it because I'd be watching Jamie Harrison's acceptance speech. Anyway, that's on my se- news that's on- too dumb to be true. Wait, on September 19th, he tweeted, I will support President Donald Trump in any effort to move forward regarding the vacancy created by the passing of Justice Ginsburg. Well, of course. In, 20, in 2016, just to give words to what you mentioned, he said, I want you to use my words against me. If there's a pre- Republican president in 2016 and a vacancy occurs in the last year of the first term, you can say, Lindsey Graham said, let's let the next president, whoever it might be, make that nomination. So those are the words to what you spoke to. <laughs> yeah. So if you're feeling apathetic, just think about that. Um, and then finally, my turn to do a recommendation. My recommendation is for everyone to go watch the movie On the Basis of Sex which is the movie about um, Justice Ginsburg's early life. Um, It kind of follows her journey through college, through law school, um, and then her work at the ACLU, and then finally um, some of her arguments in front of uh, various federal courts. It's a very moving film. Um, I think it does a good job of representing her her legacy and kind of the story behind uh, the woman that Bill Clinton decided to nominate to the United States Supreme Court. So go out, watch that movie. there are other movies about her. Watch those. I haven't seen any of the others. Um, but but go kind of immerse yourself for a moment in her legacy and then take the energy that that gives you and, and, and put it to good use. So I think, I think that's all we have, Connor. Um, yeah. Thank you, everyone, everyone, for listening. Hopefully some good news next week about something. We'll probably do uh, something about the debate that will happen um maybe a, a special episode it may, may be a special episode mm-hmm. i don't want to give too much information but there's mm-hmm. some exciting stuff happening mm-hmm. here at the citizens guide <laughs> um okay everyone enjoy your week um find find something uh good in your life be happy about it find find some joy <laughs>